0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com
1: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jonathan Spears with Sotheby's International in Destin, Florida. Last year he closed 92 transactions with a total sales volume of 119 million and earned 3 million in GCI. His average sales price was 1.3 million, of which 35% were buyers and 65% were sellers. Last year, Jonathan personally sold 92 homes as a solo agent with one assistant. Today, Jonathan's team is growing and has five members two buyer agents, one operations assistant, one executive assistant, and one team leader. Jonathan is the team leader of the Spears Group. He's been an agent for eight years and works the Destin 30A market. In his short career, he's already sold $343 million in volume and earned $10 million in GCI. In this call, Jonathan talks about Entering college at age 14 and graduating college at 18. Immediately going into real estate as an assistant to a successful REO agent and processing 50 broker price opinions per week for two years. Moved into sales and was a buyer agent for the team for the next two years. Howie transitioned into high-end luxury real estate, established a reputation, and began receiving referrals from wealthy clients personally sold 92 luxury homes last year as a solo agent with one assistant. 95% of his business is selling resort and second homes. Why these high-end homes are being purchased for enjoyment and investment. His direct mail campaign that established him as the market leader. Why he sells lifestyle, not bricks and sticks. His use of Instagram stories to connect with his tribe. Visiting five-star hotels and modeling their white club service. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript dot com. That's freereferralscript dot com. Now back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jonathan. Thank you, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, Jonathan, it's great to have you here. Jonathan, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great question, um, especially because I got into real estate at the age of 18, which um it's kind of unique especially because i turned 18 in the year 2010 which was a unique time for global real estate markets you know we were in the midst of a financial crisis in the united states i had actually just started finishing my last semester of college when i turned 18 so i've got a unique story i remember starting college at the age of 14 studying finance real estate even construction management and um, i was sitting in class i believe it was 2008 and when lehman brothers collapsed and i remember my economics teacher's face turning completely white and it was just a unique time frame to get into an education on not only real estate but the financial sector in the united states so that investment background is something that has always interested me and started pushing me towards real estate i remember my classmates calling me doogie hauser and at the time i had no idea who
1: doogie <laughs> hauser was
0: so <laughs> I had to get on YouTube like any good millennial and look up and see who that was and uh, relate. So I was the baby of my class and was kind of ahead of the game and very entrepreneurial, which is what led me to obtain my real estate license as soon as I could.
1: You just uh, opened up a whole bunch of questions I have for you. How in the world did you go to college at 14?
0: That's a great question. I have very supportive parents, which I appreciate. And I even remember my mom dropping me off at class for the first two years. Of course, it was around the corner where I could walk to class and nobody could see that it was my mom dropping me off. But um, I homeschooled throughout middle school, so sixth to eighth grade. And I was able to call up the dean of our local college. At the time, it was uh, Okaloosa Walton State College. and spoke with the dean, and basically asked for an interview where I could test into college courses. They offered a dual enrollment program for grades 10th through 12th. And I essentially told him that I was homeschooled and already doing 10th grade level work and essentially started my prospecting skills by asking the dean to allow me to start classes early. So after a convincing conversation, He allowed me to take the Florida College placement test where I proceeded to pass and enrolled full time my ninth grade year.
1: Wow. So it sounds like you were doing some type of dual track high school and college at the same time.
0: Yes, that's correct. I was able to bypass high school classes by taking a full semester load of college courses each semester, including summer semesters. So I actually have never received a high school diploma. I only have a college degree, which baffles some people. (laughs) Uh, I've never gone to prom, but, you know, I've made up for it in the meantime.
1: Well, I've got to ask the question I'm sure is on people's minds, and that is, have you been tested with your IQ? Do you have an abnormally high IQ?
0: I have not. You know, I have people actually ask me that all the time. And for me, you know, I kind of like to think of myself as very humble, so I've it's not something I would have gone and done naturally. So hopefully, I, I do have a high IQ because I deal with people all over the United States, C-level executives, and they require leadership when they're doing real estate transactions. And so going to college and getting that education base early taught me a lot of great leadership skills. And you know, I'm thankful to have that today.
1: another question, it sounds like you were looking into a lot of different investment areas. You said you like finance. How did you pick real estate over, say, going and being a a corporate raider?
0: That's actually a great question. I started in real estate simply because my entrepreneurial side wanted to get into something other than a nine-to-five job. So I've been working jobs basically since I started college. I think finance in general was very interesting to me. I was also very independent as a child, so trying to work towards financial independence um, of course, getting out of mom and dad's house, getting your own car. All of these things were drivers to kind of push towards a career. And real estate was a very natural progression living in a resort area. At the time when I obtained my real estate license, the market was very tough. Um, we just experienced the BP Gulf oil spill, which eight years ago was financial doom for you know the Gulf area. And we really didn't understand what was going to happen or the markets would react. Although we had a live camera from CNN showing oil pumping out into the Gulf of Mexico, which certainly didn't help. But my goal was to go ahead and get a knowledge base for a career path that I enjoyed. And real estate development, construction, I'd always been around that living on the Gulf Coast of Florida my whole life. So that's how I segued into obtaining a real estate license.
1: Well, let's jump into that part. So that very first year, how did it go? Did you have a fast start or a slow start?
0: You know, it's interesting. The first year, I took my license and I got under who I believe to be the most active agent in our market. So I didn't just step out there and start putting for sale signs in people's yards. I was very intent to gain experience and affiliate myself with a market leader and so the doors were opened and I had that opportunity and at first I worked in bank owned foreclosures which was really what was transacting heavily. The agent that I worked for ran a company that was doing 200 to 300 transactions per year with an average sales price of $100,000 to $150,000. So it certainly wasn't the luxury market where I always wanted to be. But it was a building block and a stepping stone to uh, understand the market in general and start working with investors, which at the time, the demand for foreclosures with cash buyers, specifically investor-minded buyers, was very high.
1: Do you recall how many homes you sold that first year? You
0: know, I primarily worked as a licensed assistant. I sold two properties and was doing probably 50 broker price opinions a week for banks under the supervision of the agent that I worked under. So I started doing broker price opinions and light sales, just whatever I could get my hands on. Ah,
1: uh, Very good. And how long were you in that position of the assistant, You know, gathering that knowledge base? How long did you do that?
0: I spent 2010 to 2000. 2012, um, mostly 2010, 2011 as a licensed assistant. 2012, I began to transition to selling. And 2012, 2013 were mostly sales years. So that's when I really started getting my feet wet, taking calls, uh, making calls, and working on sales full-time as opposed to being on salary for broker price opinions.
1: And now when you transitioned out into the sales side, Were you still working on the team? Did you still have the mentor or had you rolled on your own? What was going on?
0: I did. I actually stayed on that team for quite a while. I did not transition on my own independently until 2014.
1: Okay. That first year you rolled out and you started to get into the sales side, 2012, do you recall how many homes you sold that year? I do. It was probably around 20. About 20 homes. Now, you have worked your way up into uh, the luxury market. You mentioned that earlier. What year did you transition into the luxury side of the business?
0: I was always fascinated with high-end homes. I just naturally revolved to it. My parents as a child used to get very frustrated because when a waiter would give us a menu, I would order steak and lobster, and they'd be like, hold on, hold on, <laughs> he's not getting that. <laughs> So uh, I remember when I was 16, I told the banker, my mom wanted me to go and get a loan to get my first car. And I told her, you know, this was just a stepping stone. I was getting my BMW soon. And the lady kind (laughs) of laughed at me (laughs) and thought I was a brat. You know, I just, that's just what I loved and what I was passionate about and, you know, what I still love and what I'm passionate about. And so as we were sorting through foreclosure inventory, I would always pay close attention to the rare foreclosure that we would get in a luxury market. And so our market here in Northwest Florida is very segmented. And I was fortunate enough to work just about the entire panhandle. So from Pensacola to Tallahassee and everywhere in between. So anytime we would get a foreclosure that was high end, I would be the first to write handwritten notes. I would send it out to everybody in the neighborhood. And I started to build my database and my customer base by doing that.
1: Yeah, you had, a vision for where you wanted to go.
0: Yes, very intense.
1: And so you did these foreclosures. You started to transition. The market started to change into more of a resale market. And so, did you start going into just regular home sales, or did you immediately jump into luxury? And then, what year was the were those transitions?
0: So, my original position was as a buyer's agent and I got a lot of experience. I would say 2013 into 2014, I was working exclusively as a buyer's agent for a team. In 2014, I sold 54 properties with $24 million in volume. So that was when I started to segue into a 500,000 plus sort of market and was highly focused on 500,000 plus homes. In the market today, our average sales price in Destin, Florida is over $500,000. So at that time, with upward momentum in the market, it was a very intent form of prospecting and sales.
1: Well, tell us about that. You said an intent form of prospecting and sales to get into these higher-end homes. What specifically were you doing?
0: So I was building my business based off of what I love, right? So I think... Our customers come in and they work with us, whether they're buyers or sellers, and they can tell very quickly what you are and are not passionate about. And so I started to find myself taking calls and making calls on inventory that you know I wasn't relating to from a passion standard, and really had not much to do with the the income per se, but really the inventory that I loved and what I revolved to and what I was educating myself on. So I was eating, sleeping, and breathing the hot sheet. And I could eat, sleep, and breathe the hot sheet $500,000 plus, million dollar plus, and I could tell you all of the statistics about all of the homes. So I was gaining a lot of the market knowledge and the price range that I wanted to work in. And so any opportunity I had to work with a buyer in that range, I knew everything about it and I could best serve them. And what that turned into was referrals, you know, referrals from their friends or referrals from, you know, business associates. And that's really how I started to build a path towards luxury home sales.
1: So you were talking about learning the market, you were checking out the hot sheets, the stats. Were you also going out and touring these homes?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes. And in the BMW that I did finally purchase, (laughs) I was driving around and getting to know neighborhoods very intently. So you know, I would figure out which homes I love certain architecture on I would also look up the databases and the tax records and just kind of study seller names and understand, okay, who owns in this area? And so, especially when I'm writing letters, at that time, I was doing handwritten notes to owners, alerting them of something of value. So it wasn't just a handwritten note to say, hey, you know, I'm here if you want to buy or sell. It was, hey, we've got a unique property coming to market that you may be interested in from an investment standpoint. So, all of those things helped me gear my business towards what I was most passionate about, which was luxury home sales.
1: Were you building your knowledge? Were you developing your knowledge of how these homes were constructed, or more how they were decorated, or their location? What factors were you looking at with these homes?
0: All of the above, which, you know, in my business today, all of those different nuances are. Absolutely important from decor to architect to construction quality to contractor. You know, I was paying attention to all of the details, which is kind of what I think makes our business today stand apart with white glove service. It's understanding the, the details of a home and being able to convey that in a way that brings value to a buyer or seller.
1: You just mentioned white glove service. What do you mean by that?
0: So in fact, I actually just got back from a trip to the Four Seasons and I routinely take trips abroad, whether it's nationally or internationally, to not only visit other Sotheby's international realty offices, but to get myself out of the routine that I stay in every day. And one area of service that I love to study is hotel businesses. And what I do is model my service locally like a five-star hotel would. So we try to just curate everything from the experience that a buyer or seller would have coming into our office. We've got labeled water bottles. We have tours that we put together that are custom-made, custom-printed. They're tailored to the client. Everything that we do is very efficient as far as value. And when I reference we, it's not only myself, but I've got a team of five that works alongside me. So the guest experience at a hotel is, especially at the Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton or, you know, the Amman Resorts or whatever five-star resort you'd like to reference is always excellent. And so my business mirror images that in that we also want to provide excellent service to our customers.
1: How long have you been in the business now? How many years?
0: This is my ninth year. So it's funny because I've got a seven-month-old baby. I've been married for five and a half years, and my hair at the top is starting to turn gray. And, you know, I'm like, golly, I've been in this for a little while. And I love it, just like I loved it the first day. So it's good. It's all good.
1: And last year, how many homes did you sell, and what was the sales volume?
0: So last year, I myself sold about 90 houses and that's 119 million dollars in sales volume.
1: Wow. Now you said yourself, does that include the team that you run, the other agents on the team when you mentioned the 92, or are they additional business No,
0: it does not. That, that's all additional business.
1: Wow. How many properties did your team members sell?
0: Collectively, we represented over 130 million. So the majority of the production was my production. And towards the tail end of last year, I started to transition to a more team-centered environment, which we can touch on later.
1: Wow. Well, you know what? Thank you for the clarification. I want to stick with what you've been doing because a lot of people ask where they max out as an individual agent or an agent with a few assistants. And you basically hit 92 home sales last year, $119 Personal production. Do you recall the GCI on that? Uh, it was around three million dollars. Wow, that is fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. Have you ever had a chance to add up in your career, say how many homes you sold or sales volume, GCI, any of those numbers?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I'm, you know, having the finance background, I'm big on numbers, and not only my numbers, but you know, the numbers in the market in general. I've represented individually just under 350 million in career sales which to put it into perspective is over 13 million dollars per year for every year I've been alive. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Did you ever add up uh, the GCI over that time?
0: Yeah, it's I mean it's around 10 million dollars.
1: And how old are you?
0: I just turned 26.
1: Wow! I want everybody to let that sink in. That's pretty amazing stuff. Congratulations! That's uh, some high Thank you. Yeah. I'd
0: say the last two years, I've been recognized on the Wall Street Journal and Realtrends top 250 list on the volume side, and both years I was the youngest agent represented on the list. So very proud of that.
1: <laughs> well, you should be. That's pretty spectacular. Now, where are you? Where is uh, Destin, Florida?
0: That's a great question. Sometimes I talk to my Sotheby's International Realty counterparts, and they're like, is that near Naples or Fort Lauderdale? Where are you in Florida? And fun because it's, it's really a, a great kept secret. We're in the panhandle of Florida, the Destin 30A Corridor, as we like to reference it. So between Pensacola and Panama City, on some of the widest sand beaches you've ever seen.
1: Do you know what the population is down there?
0: That's another great question. Full-time in Destin, Florida, we have about 15,000 residents. And in the summer, that swells to 150,000 people at any given time.
1: Wow. The homes that you're selling, are you selling to the people that live there as a primary home, or are you selling to a second home market, resort market?
0: I would say 95% of my business is second home resort market.
1: Very good. And the average price in the the whole market, what do you say that is?
0: For Destin, Florida, we're around $550,000 if you averaged in primary residences. If we were just talking about second homes, it would be closer to $800,000 from an average sales price standpoint. And then if we were to talk about the 30A market, East and West 30A averaged out for resort inventory, the average sales price is over a million dollars.
1: And what was your average price last year?
0: 1.3 million.
1: 1.3 million. So you really have moved yourself up into the upper end or the luxury end of your market. It wasn't just that every home in your market is selling for 1.3, you pushed yourself intentionally up into that higher end.
0: Yes, certainly. Absolutely.
1: How would you define luxury or luxury homes?
0: I believe that luxury is an experience. You know, I meet folks from all over the southeastern United States and beyond, and the perception of a luxury property, there's a lot of similarities, but I think the most important one is the way that a property makes you feel. So we don't necessarily sell a lot of emotion in that a lot of my customer base looks towards investment properties properties that can pay for themselves. But I think the icing on top of the cake is the way that a property would make you feel or how a prospective renter who would short-term rent a property would feel. And luxury inventory tends to leave an impression that one may never forget.
1: That's interesting. You mentioned that a lot of the people who are buying these properties are going to rent them out short term, make some income. Uh, Do you work that side of the market as well? Or do you refer out the management side?
0: We do refer out the management side to local experts. um, But TripAdvisor and VRBO recently named Destin, Florida as one of the top vacation rental destinations in the United States. So a lot of the purchasers that we have coming into our market. Call them second, third home purchasers, are enjoying around 10% gross return on investment from their rental property. And that's renting it out maybe 30 or 35 weeks a year. So for every million dollars one of our buyers would spend, they would tend to look for $100,000 per year gross ROI.
1: And they're able to achieve that by renting it less than, well, just slightly over half of the year.
0: Six months, yeah. Mm hmm. So plenty of time to still enjoy it.
1: Yeah, so those are usually weekly rentals, and then they can pick times that they can go experience the property themselves inside of that time?
0: Yes, that is correct. And our peak season um, is a little different. For instance, South Florida tends to flourish in the winter. So when the Northeast is frozen over, people like to go down and fall out in Miami or Naples. We actually do the bulk of our business in the summer. So when families are out of school, we've got one of the most incredible drive-to-destination opportunities in the country. So we have influx from Dallas, Nashville, Birmingham, Atlanta, all the way up to major towns in Arkansas. So it's really a unique economy.
1: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about how you're generating the business. You've got, you said 95% of the business is the second homes resort market. That means they're not locally there. How are you staying in front of these people that you want to work with? How are you finding people that are in other locations and contacting them?
0: That is a fabulous question. One of the main drivers of my business and You know, Mike, as we transition from you know early stages in my career working as a buyer's agent to independent agent working buyers and sellers, and then if we reference last year's numbers, which I think 65% of my business was sellers, we're reaching the seller market through postcards and direct mail, providing value through direct mail, especially because most of these individuals aren't here. They're, they're busy with their everyday lives and aren't necessarily paying close attention to the market outside of what's put in front of them that may be of value. So direct mail is a
1: huge part of my business. Wow, it sounds like the old geographic farming. You're mailing out to homeowners yeah. in a certain area. It's just that it's you're going to these people that own properties. They're elsewhere. They're outside your state. So let's talk about that. What are you mailing out specifically? You said postcards and direct mail. What is on the postcard? What does it look like? Uh, give us more details.
0: Yeah, of course. You know, a traditional postcard is more like a mail-away home to say hello. Yeah, you know, I'm on a trip. I'm traveling. When I reference a postcard from our perspective, we use a company called ExpressDoc, Express ExpressDoc is a fabulous way to create different farm markets, different segments of your market you want to farm, and tailor um, quality imagery, valuable input as far as the market data or you know recent sales listings, and blast that out to different folks. So we, we do 11 by 7 postcards, so they're jumbo postcards. And the one reason I reference them as postcards is because it's something simple. There's immediate imagery that the customer may interact with that's very relevant to that particular market that they may own in. For instance, let's take a neighborhood of 500 homes. And let's just say that my team represented not only the majority of the inventory in the neighborhood, but we also have a new listing coming up. There are multiple calls to action on our postcards that present value to a prospective seller or somebody that's just wanting to keep up with the market. So we're very intent on providing different input on those postcards, as well as call to action that kind of references our team to engage them, as well as an IVR number, which is a voice recording that we have that really doesn't create any obligation for a prospective customer to talk with somebody per se, but to get information while simultaneously we're able to capture their information and follow up with them in a way that would, again, present value.
1: You've mentioned that you're sending out these jumbo postcards, 11 by seven. I assume they're full color. What type of images are you putting on the card?
0: So we typically will hand select quality professional photos of a recent new listing or a pending property or a sold property and juxtapose that with verbiage that we also curate that is tailor fit to that specific property. So maybe we take some of the marketing verbiage from the MLS and just kind of go through statistics on the home. Let's just say we've got a recent record breaking sale at a certain price per foot that's very compelling. For instance, we just closed a property at $1,500 price per foot, which some would say is a Manhattan-level priced home. Um, very engaging statistics. Going back to the numbers, you know, we just want to pull out what's relevant and what may be appealing to a homeowner to make sure that we at least get the opportunity to stay in front of them when they decide that they want to sell or need advice on their particular
1: property. Sounds like you're sending out evidence of success, the old idea of a just listed, just sold, just under contract. You're showing people what's happening in your market. Are you including prices on there, bedrooms and bathrooms, or more generic to try to get them to call in?
0: Just kind of backpedaling just a bit, Mike, we're also using frequency. So, you know, we may start a campaign that is three or four postcards in depth. So it may be announcing a new listing and then announcing a pending sale or announcing a sold sale. And so it just depends on what stage of the process that we're in that we decide to either give a sales price or give a price per square foot, depending on what's compelling to that particular area.
1: Okay, so like if you're setting a record or it's something somebody would be excited about, that's when you would include the price.
0: Yes, you're exactly right.
1: Now you mentioned you have call to actions on the postcards. What do you mean? what specifically what are you asking them to do?
0: So the call to actions are fairly simple. you know it may be as simple as considering selling give Jonathan a call and at the point that we would place a call to action on the postcard, it would be in an area that they would have already been educated not only on what they're calling about but the market. Our market statistics is a market leader in the area, all of which typically creates a very compelling reason for somebody to pick up the phone.
1: Yeah, you've also mentioned you have the IVR, the old 1-800 number info line. Are you getting a lot of calls in on that?
0: Yeah, we are. Absolutely. The buyer side of our business benefits Even more so from IVR, I think a lot of sellers tend to call my cell phone number directly, which is also provided on our postcards. But, you know, sometimes people just want factual data and don't really want to talk to anybody. So we want to present that option as well. Not only can they call, but they can also text an IVR number.
1: How many pieces of mail are you sending out in a given area per year? Are you sending out monthly, weekly? Is there a number you're trying to hit?
0: Yeah, we're sending them out weekly. Our market's so segmented and we're one of the few agents in the market that really serve as many folks as we can. Hence the 92 home sales per year. That's very unique in our area for a luxury agent. The average home sale transaction volume would be around 25. So I would be close to four times the average. Our mailings are as frequent as once a week to twice a month. Typically, we wouldn't send out more than one piece per week to a specific area. But the areas that I'm farming, I'm sending at least four, po- or I'm sending around four postcards per month too.
1: Now, the areas that you're farming, how many properties are there in the farm area that you're working?
0: Typically, one postcard goes to between 500 and 800 recipients.
1: Okay. That's like a just listed or just sold. I assume you're doing a, a circle mailing around it. When you say farming, are you farming just the neighborhood of the particular business you're working, or is there a larger farm that you're always working in? Say, you said 500, say of 1,000 or 2,000 homes.
0: That's a great question. It's really all of the above. So our market being fairly segmented in that, you know, a beachfront house would required data that is probably not relevant to a second row home. So we may only mail out to beachfront homeowners if we represent a beachfront sale versus a homeowner that's directly across the street. Now, when I mail to the homeowner directly across the street, I may include the beachfront owners as well because they like to know what's going on regardless of the market. So we we really have learned trial and error what provides the greatest response as far as uh, getting a farming list nailed
1: down. You're sending out a tremendous amount of mail. Do you get kicked back from people saying, hey, stop sending me so many postcards?
0: If anything, I can't walk down to the beach because people recognize my face and they have to talk <laughs> to me about the postcards. <laughs> so I would say that's a good response. Very rarely, I mean, maybe I've had like two in the last couple of years, have they reached out and said, hey, please quit mailing me. I'm never selling. You know, I don't care what's going on in the market. I'm just not interested. So I think the perception, too, of success and frequency is one that we like to continue to repeat because these are the only ways that we can stay in front of our customer base, being that they're spread out all over the country and beyond.
1: Uh, Very good. Now, real quick, you have your picture on the postcard then.
0: Yes, I do.
1: Uh, You mentioned that the best way to get in front of these people is mail. Have you ever put together a database of phone numbers or email addresses that you're sending out to or contacting them that way?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I've spent a lot of my time prospecting. So, one part of my listing presentation when I go and meet with a new owner is, you know, how are we different amongst other agents in the market? And I think proactive selling is what allowed me to be the market leader, not only here but one of the market leaders in the United States in general. I think that my style is not to sit and wait for my phone to ring. So a very traditional way of marketing property may be just to put it on the MLS, place a couple ads in a magazine. I will pull mailing lists and will derive phone numbers. And I will call everybody that may be in a neighborhood or I'll have my buyer's agents call out folks in the neighborhood, seeing if they may be interested in a new listing that's come on the market you know, we've received some great responses from folks who enjoy getting phone calls fairly at random, right? Because you're prospecting a potentially cold lead to just keep them informed on what's going on in the market. So we do compile phone lists. Those are usually obtained by trial and error. There's a forewarn app that our market started to use that does a great job with you with giving an opportunity to kind of find a phone number or a relevant phone number for somebody, although we don't, we always say we don't stalk people, but we really try to get their information so that we can be of service or of value, especially because they don't live here in the market.
1: And what was the software that was helping you find out the phone number?
0: This software is more of a reverse prospecting piece. So if I find a phone number, I can basically check its authenticity on an application which you can download on your iPhone or Android called Forewarn. Forewarn. F-O-R-E-W-A-R-N.
1: Ah, Forewarn. Very good. And that's been working well for you.
0: Yeah, it works great.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I want to switch gears, although we may be in the same territory. Uh, your past clients, you're getting a lot of business from past clients in Sphere of influence. Do you have a database of past clients and sphere of influence that's separate from the geographic farming that you're doing?
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got a database of past clients that's close to 5,000. You know, whether it's in that that may be duplicated in that it could be husband, wife. But we typically stay in touch with past customers if we're not calling them on the phone. On a weekly basis, we're emailing them and keeping them updated with the market through a program called Resora. And so I keep all of my past contacts, past sellers, buyers in a Resora database.
1: Okay. So Resora is the software you're using. It's helping you track these folks and stay in touch with them on a weekly basis. You're sending out either email or making a call. How often do you call these folks over the course of a year?
0: I'd like to talk to somebody at least once per quarter. So uh, if not once a week, I mean, as you can imagine, running a business like this for the last four or five, six years, my time is so limited and the people that I'm working with tend to become friends. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time with my customers. It's hard to even differentiate them from a clientele standpoint to, you know, a friend standpoint, because they're, they're so intermingled in my life. And, uh, and I enjoy it that way. So as frequent as possible is, is usually my goal. And then I also try to look to connect with folks when they're in town. So when I say that most owners would come down maybe three to four times per year. So that kind of coincides with that once per quarter goal that I have to connect with past customers.
1: So, Jonathan, I understand you're doing a lot with social media. Uh, What does that mean? What are you doing?
0: We love to hype up our listings before they come on market. And one way that I have trained my database to pay attention and one way that I'm able to keep in touch with uh, a lot of very important customers as well as the co-broker community is through social media. So Instagram stories has become a very important part of my business. Um Facebook is a very important part of my business and so we like to leverage those platforms to keep people informed real time.
1: Instagram stories. I don't know a lot about that. Why don't you tell us what that is?
0: When Instagram stories first came out, uh I was a little perplexed because it's a real time video recording, mostly unedited, uh besides a couple swipes of a filter and allows you to immediately connect um, a moment in time with a 15 second moment in time with your audience so your social media followers and for me i love to snap the most important 15 seconds of my day whether it's my beach view with dolphins jumping in the morning that i'm just lucky enough to be there to take in uh, or it's a new listing or just sold property that we want to make sure that our database is the first to know about. So it's a very important way that we're able to keep in touch with folks in a very raw and unedited platform.
1: How often are you posting to the site? Is that happening once a day or multiple times a day? You know, it's fairly sporadic.
0: Um, it's at least multiple times per day, so more than once per day, usually um, three to four per day. Um, I mentioned earlier in our interview that we do a lot of travel, my wife and I. Uh, It's definitely a passion of ours, and I make it a point to visit a Sotheby's International Realty office, no matter where I'm at in the world. So I just got back from Atlanta, Um, love our sister company, Atlanta Find Homes, and an important way for me to stay connected with those guys is letting them know on social media that I'm in Atlanta. So snapping 15 seconds at the Taylor Swift concert got probably four or five different responses and they, there were other agents and clients at that same concert and we met up afterwards and so you know it's just a fun way to uh keep in touch
1: i want to connect that to something you said earlier and that is that you sell lifestyle in these properties the the the, the moment of living in these properties versus the the bricks and mortar. It sounds to me like that's what you're doing on social media as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's a, a great point, Mike. The lens through which we capture our life is uh, played out on social media in a way that, you know, I cannot blast that out um, in, a, in a more formal marketing way. Um, platform. So video is key and it's very important. and We get a lot of professional video content for our listings, but when I'm at a property and, you know, it's an amazing sunset and I just want to be able to share that with the world, my social media is one way that I can capture it and blast that out.
1: And that makes people feel good and connected to you. That builds that trust and that relationship.
0: Yes, of course. And one thing that we do is we parallel the lifestyles of our clients. So, you know, we're staying at the same hotels. We're going to the same restaurants. um, And all the while, we're allowing, um, especially in a resort market, we're allowing our audience to see what life is like in that resort market. You know, what am I eating at dinner? Is it um, key lime pie? Or, you know, where am I at? Is it a great restaurant that Emerald Lavassie has? So it's just really trying to curate. And blast out what my lifestyle is like, which is what most of our buyer profile wants in a resort market.
1: And you're showing them that you are one of them. You are part of their tribe. And again, it creates that connection.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: If there was an agent listening and they wanted to work themselves into the luxury market, what would you recommend they do?
0: if they were a new agent that was listening i would recommend that they start out by working under somebody that has the same goals and vision that they do look for a market leader that you can learn from and model your business after it's the same reason why i would want to go and listen to other folks success because we all have a different path and a different story and i think it's important that you know we pull the things and the items that we can apply to our daily lives and our businesses and commit to those things, and try to grow.
1: Well, Jonathan, you've mentioned you're starting to grow a team. Could you describe the team to us? What we're looking for is kind of a a big-picture overview, an organizational chart, how many people in each position, and what is that position responsible for?
0: My team last year primarily consisted of myself and my assistant, Sarah. I started to introduce buyer's agents to my business as I was not able to really be in every place all the time. So when folks ask me, what is it that allows you to sell 100 plus million dollars per year? The response is typically leverage. And so when you surround yourself with great folks that are like minded, people who have the same drives, the same goals that you do, you can do so much more collectively than you can on your own. So at this point, I've surrounded myself with two administrative assistants, each working in different functions of our business, whether it's the closing process or they're working boots on the ground for curated showings. So we like to open a home, light it up, be there for questions. Anytime we have somebody walk through a property that we represent, uh, we're covered. So between myself and those two admin, we can really run a very efficient and smooth listing side of our business. And I've got two buyer's agents who field all of our incoming buyer calls, which through that IVR number, ring to everybody's cell phone. By everybody, I mean it rings to both of my admin as well as my buyer's agents and my cell phone simultaneously so that we don't miss any call or any inquiry. You've got five people who are always on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: Wow. And it sounds like you've just recently added the buyer agents this year, or did you add them in last year?
0: I added them in mid-year last year. And, you know, it took a little while to get them up and running. One of them comes from zero sales experience. It's actually my brother who also graduated college early. He got his degree at 19 and decided that he wanted to pursue sales. And so it took a little while to get him introduced into not only the real estate market, but real estate sales in general. But using tools that Wes Madden, who is our COO, implemented, we were able to kind of get him rolling. And, you know, he's um, done tremendous. He's already sold five or six million this year. So I'm really proud of him. Um, and I've got another buyer's agent who's very seasoned. He's been working in this market longer than I have. He's been here working since 2005, 2006 and uh, has a lot of intimate market knowledge and she's our lead buyer's agent so most of the leads go to her first and they're directed through lita is her name accordingly
1: are you profitable
0: oh yeah definitely
1: i don't think i'd be doing it if i wasn't profitable (laughs) right So that people understand, could you give us some percentages of things that can happen in your world? Uh, We're just looking for the percent on net profit.
0: For me, it's important that not only am I profitable, but my buyer's agents are profitable, uh, especially because we try to cover most of their overhead, as well as my assistants who are both in positions where they're able to reap in bonuses based on team production. So everybody is working towards uh, the goal of not only profitability, but growth. Um, And everybody is incentivized to work in an environment where they have an opportunity to take advantage of upward momentum. So nobody is locked into a specific paycheck. We all have a reason to get up in the morning and hit the ground running and produce.
1: Uh, Very nice. Do you know what your net profit margin was last year?
0: Yeah, my net profit margin was right at 70% last year.
1: Wow, that's extraordinary. (laughs) Thank you. It's so high, I think, because you were doing so much of your own production. As your team grows, I assume that number will drop a little bit, but that's a fantastic number. Thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah, of course. One thing I would also attribute to such a high net profit margin is we really focus inward on developing our own leads. So we're not currently invested in any specific lead platforms such as Zillow or Trulia or realtor.com. We focus on market share as far as listing inventory. So when you carry the market share of listing inventory or the bulk market share, a lot of the buyers come to you organically. So we try to pride ourselves on having a sign, a very beautiful Sotheby's international realty sign on every corner that we can in our luxury market.
1: That's an interesting point. Do you know what your market share is of the listings over the course of a year?
0: I do, but it's from a sales standpoint, Mike, uh, I've been the top agent in our market by a 30 to 40% margin over the last 24 months. But I am very diversified when it comes to location. So, You know, we could drive an hour east or west, and we're still serving those markets, which for some folks, um, you know, it's a dramatic landscape and change. Jonathan, what drives you? My passion for helping people. Um, A lot of folks ask me, you know, what makes you get up every morning? Why are you so driven? You know, what is that? And, you know, for me, it's I love to help. I love to serve. I love to be an advisor. And I get a lot of joy out of helping folks not only achieve their dream of second home, but also achieve a dream of an investment property, something that would kick off income, hopefully cash flow. So
1: that's what really gets me excited. Well, Jonathan, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
0: The first thing I would do if I Agent in this business is set interviews with the top agents in the market, and just have an opportunity to sit and study and be mentored by them. I would reach out to someone that I admired, somebody that I got along with, and offer to be an assistant or work. I mean, shoot, I would work for free. I would go get their coffee every morning just to kind of be in that environment because that that environment is what is so important that you create and. Can learn from uh, when it comes to team culture.
1: Well, Jonathan, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable?
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, in fact, I've got a lot of joy just from listening to other folks who've been on the program who run very different businesses than I do. We each have our own pathways to success, but everybody has certain nuggets of wisdom that they can leave along the way that I believe are pivotal for. Someone else to take hold of and implement in their own businesses.
1: Well, Jonathan, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
0: I think that my parting thoughts would be to continue to persevere without exception. Even when things get tough, especially in the real estate world, we live in cycles. So ups and downs are very common. I think becoming comfortable in those ups and downs is the most important thing, being very decisive. Unwavering. That's really what's helped me push through my business and grow it to the level that we have, and what I believe that will continue to push our business and continue to allow us to serve incredible customers throughout the U.S.
1: Well, Jonathan, you are a very impressive 26 year old entrepreneur. You quickly knocked out college and you quickly succeeded at real estate. Your passion for high end luxury real estate drove you to educate yourself on the market, enhance your reputation, and resulted in a luxury lifestyle for you and your family. You've melded proven marketing concepts such as geographic farming, direct mail, interactive voice response, and prospecting with modern social media such as Instagram stories into a powerful high-end marketing machine. You've had a meteoric rise and I foresee a starlit future. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 322 homes last year, 85% by repeating referrals. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
0: You've been listening to success calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.